Thanks for spending this time with me. It's been a pleasure reading to you. Here's the epilogue of our story. As I write, it is our summer of the pandemic, 2020, here in the United States. You've probably figured out by now, I married Cooper, and Antoine is the friend I referred to in the introduction, who takes dawn walks through Central Park. There's been a lot said recently about how well Isaac Newton dealt with self-isolation when he was sent home from Trinity College during the Great Plague of London, and came up with this. The force of gravity equals the gravitational constant times mass divided by distance. That's the mathematical equation that explains his breakthrough law of gravitivity. Me? I've been making pasta y fagioli. It fills my freezer, and I text friends in the neighborhood to notify them that I've left a block of soup at their door for them to defrost in their fridge. As my friend Patsy would say, we all have our ways of coping. I should backtrack for a moment. Jake married a doctor. Between them, Cooper's and my daily routine is kind of a double whammy of expertise and filial caution. I'm not complaining. When sound advice isn't forthcoming from a national source, we are extremely fortunate that doctors Jake and Tasha are looking out for us. My favorite physician and his wife did eventually move into the house his father bought and I rattled around in for all those years. They have toddler twins and are planning on more. I am descending into cliche here, but that makes me ecstatic. Grandkids, a full house, my daughter-in-law, the doctor. At the beginning of the pandemic, they were very clear about what the safer-at-home order meant. We saw the toddlers through plate-glass patio doors when their parents would bring them by for a few moments, wave, and quiz us briefly, shouting through the glass, as if they hadn't already briefed us on proper precautions to maintain our health. In the beginning, they weren't even happy with us going to the grocery store. So... Suited up as per their instructions, with latex gloves on, mask on, brand new spectacles perched on my nose, somewhat precariously, I admit, we headed to the market one day when the thought of someone else picking out my produce was too much for my tiny mind to handle. At Gelson's, I followed my list for seven days of meals, pushed our basket into a quiet corner, walked down the aisles clocking where everyone was in my vicinity. Soon I spotted an empty aisle, and seeing my objective, I bent to retrieve a jar of hoisan sauce from a very low shelf. As I leaned forward, off flew my glasses. They skittered across the floor. The doctors would have been appalled. I thought for a moment about the chain of transmission they had explained. Fresh, virus-laden droplets from someone's nose or mouth carried through the air and coming into contact with a mucous membrane. Unless I licked my glasses and someone very short had sneezed directly onto the floor within the last few moments, exactly where my glasses dropped, I was going to be fine. When I got in the car, I rubbed my hands with sanitizer and did the same with my glasses. Even so, every day for a week afterward, I would check myself when I woke usually tucked under sleeping Cooper's arm. My throat wasn't sore. I didn't feel feverish. I could smell the roses I had clipped from the garden and put on my nightstand. It's been an anxious time. I worry about my favorite director. 
Sylvie is living and working in Paris. As Christmas approached in 2019, she had just left a small couture house and found placement as a junior designer at a very big luxury brand. All the couturiers take a break for Christmas, and she was home regaling her father and me with stories strangely reminiscent of the film industry. Working all hours in a hierarchical system headed by larger-than-life characters expecting nothing less than magic from their employees, especially when directed to Photoshop away their wrinkles and pot bellies on Instagram. She referred to her former boss as Burger Boy and told us about walking through the Père Lachaise Cemetery every day to catch the metro from her dodgy neighborhood in the 20th arrondissement to Avenue Montagne and listening to podcasts in English all the while to remind her of home. As she talked, her father and I could visibly see her relax and restore just from speaking her native tongue. She told us that while she read all that she could, most of her young friends didn't. They listened, and when things were in the news, they often asked her what was going on. One morning, when she was in the living room, with the sun beaming down on her head, reading the newspaper, she looked up and said she was worried about a virus spreading in China. I hate to see her worried about anything. I dismissed it and said something about how quickly SARS was contained in 2003. Jesus, how wrong could I have been? After the new year, she returned to Paris. In the first week of March, she and her boyfriend, thank God, signed a rental agreement for a new apartment with a pen they and the agent each wiped down with an antiseptic cloth before passing it to the other. They moved in, and on March 16th, President Macron issued a mandatory stay-at-home order. The big luxury brand shifted all their efforts to manufacturing personal protective equipment. In May, France provided all citizens with washable cloth masks. Restrictions were largely lifted by July 11th. The only bans left are on gatherings of more than 5,000 people and on nightclubs. That and masks are required on public transport. They were able to get a grip on the infection with a partnership of good science and good governance and suppress it to a point where they could reopen. As of June, or the end of June, Americans, who have not been able to control the disease, are prohibited from entering Europe, where they have controlled the disease. Cooper is beside himself. He can only see his daughter when they Skype. The film industry started to shut down on March 12th, and for the week prior, while Cooper was on set, I was climbing up and down ladders, doing a deep cleaning on the house above the Sunset Strip, the likes of which the place had never seen. When he called during the afternoon of the 12th, saying the production was shutting down for the rest of the day and Friday, returning to work Monday, I said, please, just come home as soon as you can. As the shortened day drew to a close, the producers and actors were urging him to join them at a bar for a drink. He declined their kind offer because he said he had to prepare for Monday, in reality, I think he had heard the panic in my voice and headed home. Needless to say, he hasn't been back to work since. Our stay-at-home order came on March 19th. And on May 25th, stores, restaurants, and churches reopened with restrictions. It was too soon. 
The order for everybody to wear masks came on June 18th. It was too late. The guilds and unions have been in constant contact with the state government, and in an abundance of caution, everything having to do with Cooper's film is taken care of by text, email, phone, or Zoom. Lots of things take place by video conference now, and since most of this story has centered around the film industry, I will say you can almost plan a film in its entirety via Zoom, but not really. And as for filming, not yet. More on that in the next paragraph. So the industry is shuttered in the United States until the infection rate is way down or there's a vaccine. Some projects are going to London, and Tom Cruise himself got Great Britain to lift their ban on Americans if they travel there to make a movie. I'm sure it didn't take much convincing, considering the tantalizing prospect of Boku bucks flowing into a Brexit and pandemic-strapped economy. In the absence of a national plan to control the virus, the states have been left to figure it out for themselves, without backup by the feds or funding. Here in California, the film and television industry keeps formulating protocols to make the workplace safe. Every time it's on the brink of reopening, the infection rates rocket. The protocols are based on some simple things we've all heard about by now. Film crews will be tested twice before returning to work, once a week thereafter. There will be enhanced washing stations for the crew and cleaning and disinfecting of all stages and props. All personnel will wear masks. The crew will be equipped based on whether or not they are on set or off set. Those on set will wear respirators, paper protective gear over their clothes, and stay as far from each other as possible in an effort, that's right, to protect each other and the actors who, unmasked, will be performing and most vulnerable. The gaggle of producers and writers and various crew members clustered around monitors in something called Video Village, where in times past crowds gathered to keep an eye on what was happening on camera, will be banned. Planning the day will be positively Hitchcockian, and by that I mean everything will be storyboarded out and wardrobe, props, set deck, makeup, hair, will be decided on in advance. All decisions will be adhered to, as last-minute changes can't be accommodated safely. And the director will have to shoot the storyboard in a shortened day. That's the hope anyway. I know the process, especially the idea of directors locking everything down before shooting, is going to be... Well, let's just say since the end of the studio system, directors have been... They've become they become much more improvisational. It's going to be difficult. Apart from all that, we've been social distancing, mostly staying at home, only venturing into shops to get prescriptions or groceries, and we've been walking, keeping at least 10 feet between us and anyone we see. I always detour into the road when I see anyone approaching, which was easy in the beginning because there was no traffic. There's a vantage point above the city about two and a half miles from our house. It's on a mountain ridge. To get there, we stroll past a park, some beautiful old homes from the 1930s, and as we climb, so do the decades in residential architecture. Some great, some not so. 
Once past some McMansions of the 1980s, there's a blocked-off fire road where you can slip through the iron gate, note the warning signs about mountain lions, and look out from the ocean to downtown. Usually there's nobody on the road. It's beautiful. One day, when we were climbing back down from the summit and approaching the gate, Cooper stopped in his tracks and said, Skunk. I smell skunk. Envisioning a nasty bath in tomato juice, I froze, only to see a black SUV parked by the gate and a young man hastily putting out a joint on the curb. I don't know why he grounded out. We were a good 30 feet away from him. It's legal here. Maybe there was something in the tone of our voices that struck his core. We must have reminded him of his parents. I should have called out, Hey, whatever gets you through the day, enjoy the view. Instead, I just gave a big wave and smiled beneath my mask. The gals and I have been keeping in touch by phone. Texting is still not my favorite thing. Or when we congregate, it's via Zoom. My parents and I talk once a week. Massachusetts and the rest of New England have crushed it like Europe when it comes to the virus. Again, thank God. Mr. Booker, 92, and Tyrone, 88, call all the time from the desert, where they report they are happy as a pair of sun-baked iguanas. Their words, not mine. They also have let me know that Jake has been after them to move back into the guest house. Mr. Booker said... What Jake fails to realize is that whilst we appreciate that he wants to keep us safe, the life we're living now isn't radically different from the life we've led for the past ten years. Tyrone and I are very quiet people. A couple of weeks ago, Gabrielle sent me a Zoomtini invitation. So, at the appointed hour, I signed on with cocktail in hand. Isabel was seated next to Gabrielle in Santa Barbara. She had moved back home at the end of March, isolated herself in her old room for two weeks, and then joined her 72-year-old mom, not wanting her to be alone during the crisis. My stepdaughter never ceases to surprise me, as evidenced by this part of our conversation with Isabel saying, Are you still off social media? I replied, Pretty much. I know my little brother's got you covered health-wise, but there are Twitter groups that include public health officials, scientists, health writers, epidemiologists, and doctors that could help, they could help keep you informed. Or keep me outraged. I've seen those viral videos from Twitter on the news. The ones with the people losing it over masks? I just can't. Yeah, I see that. It would make you think, it would make you think of the studio hack. What? All that data stolen. Data so complete and comprehensive you could micro-target anyone and play on their fears to work them up into a frenzy, like via Facebook or Twitter or Fox News. That's a misnomer, really. Mom, you used to work for them, didn't you? At Fox? She didn't wait for her mother to respond before downloading a lot more information, as was her way. You could work them up into a frenzy over hoaxes or conspiracy theories or crazy lies and then let them loose. Let them loose to disrupt society in ways that serve a political agenda. It's predatory, it's tragic, it's effective, and it's been going on a very long time. We tend to think of this behavior as new, but influencing someone's behavior by nefarious means for personal gain is as old as history. Psychological operations are what 
they call it PSYOP, entered into our vocabulary in the United States with World War I. I don't know what the Russian equivalent is, but I'm familiar with the names and practices of some of its current cyber practitioners, Cozy Bear, Fancy Bear, and Guccifer 2.0. They're such silly names for operations guided by the Russian Federal Security Service. But then hackers have a goofy side that I find hard to identify with. I can't help thinking of all the people who don't freak out, who do wear masks, and how we all can be suckered into suckered into a distorted worldview just by the nature of the platform itself, don't you think? Gabrielle sat in stunned silence. I said, Isabel, you just said a mouthful. I know. You said you were familiar with their practices? I consult with various organizations that um, I'm not at liberty to discuss, like intelligence organizations. I can't say, but staying off social media is probably a good idea for you, Billy. The sideshow aspect of it can be very distracting. It's very damaging. Her mother drained her martini glass and set it down. Mom, can I get you another? Isabel got up and left frame to mix her mother another drink. Well, Billy, that was unexpected. You good? I'm good, Gabrielle. Honey, even when I was so angry with you, I could barely see straight. I knew it. Thank you, I said. Gabrielle, did you know your daughter was CIA or NSA or... I had no idea. I raised my glass to the screen. To the kids? To the kids, my friend said Gabrielle. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the story, please tell a friend.